First Thessalonians chapter 4. It's good to see each one here this morning. And we are looking into the month of February. Through the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at the biblical truth about the end times, a series of sermons called Last Things First. And we're going to see what the Scripture has to say about uh, uh, prophetic events, things that take place in the end of the days, in the end of times. You know, there's a lot of a lot of thought about this, but you know, the the problem is that human beings are notoriously bad at uh, prognostication and prophecy. In fact, all you have to do is look outside, and sometimes the weather tells us that. Um, you can see the church sign. I'm not sure whether this is a real church sign or somebody just photoshopped this in. But prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. It could, it could very well be real. I'm not sure. Now, don't any of y'all start Googling College Avenue Baptist Church to try to wait till the service is over, and then you can look it up. But, you know, the, the, our, our ability to tell the future is really poor. Um, I was reading some things a little while back about some of the uh, prophecies and the predictions that people have made in recent decades that we've lived long enough to see uh, they really just didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, I read that in 1962, a record company um, executive, an expert, said this, we don't think the Beatles will do anything in their market. Guitar groups are on the way out. Uh, not really good at predictions. Business Week, the news magazine said in 1958, with over 50 foreign cars already on the market, the Japanese auto industry isn't likely to carve out a big slice of the U.S. market. I'd say he probably missed his prognostication on that. 1943, Thomas Watson, the CEO of IBM, said, I think there's probably a world market for about five computers. And probably, counting phones, there's probably about five per row just in this room alone. I love this one. 1939, the New York Times. And who's better at getting it right than the New York Times? <laughs> the problem with TV is that people will have to glue their eyes to the screen, and the average American just won't have time for that. <laughs> some of you have your eyes glued to the screen this morning, and not you watching, there some in here. Don't do that. Put them away after you've, shared the, after you've shared the stream and the service. But we get it wrong, and we're just really not good at telling the future, whether it's predicting business, whether it's predicting music, whether it's predicting uh, the weather outside. Uh, we just, we don't do a very good job. And there was a physicist some years ago that said, um, you know, forecasting or prediction is a very difficult art, especially when the future is involved. And that's true for all of these things. And yet in the scriptures, God gives us verse after verse of prophecy. Nearly 30%, 27 to 30% of scripture is prophetic in nature. That's a sizable portion of the Bible. And when we look at it, we need to understand what the scriptures have to say. Now, I will say that our interpretation of God's prophecies are sometimes, we're certainly not infallible. But God's promises and God's prophecies are always 100% reliable. What God says will come to pass. And so as we look at the scriptures, we want to understand what is 
this prophecy. So before we get into four weeks in which we're going to look at God's prophetic word about future events and about the end of times, I want us to take some time this morning and understand why God gives us prophecy and why we're going to look at it. Why do we need to understand this? What is our reason for doing this? If we come at this with the wrong motivation, we're going to get the wrong thing out of it. But if we're going to get out of the Word of God what God intends for us to get, then we need to know why did God say this to us? What is the purpose for this? Let me just say before we get into this entire series, and this is really just sort of the introductory sermon. I know we've been announcing that it's going to start next Sunday. This is just sort of to whet your appetites a little bit. This is not, in times, is not a salvation issue. There is room for people who believe the Word of God, who believe in the inspiration of Scriptures, who believe in a variety, we believe in that basic fundamental truth to have different views and different understandings about how the order of events are going to transpire. It's perfectly fine. I know that there's probably in a crowd this size, there's some that have one view and some that have another view, and some of you not even sure what your view is. Hopefully by the time we get through, you'll have a view. And if you follow what I say, it will be the right view. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. As long as Lynn straightens my sermons out, then it'll be the right view, and then we'll be good to go. But there's a, there's a variety of views. So, look, we're, we're not all going to agree on these things. There are some people, as I believe, that there's the rapture of the church is going to be what we call pre-tribulational. It's going to happen before the tribulation period begins. There are those who believe it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. There are those who believe it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. And yet they all believe that Christ is coming back. There's a lot of views, and I've often said that, you know, I hold a pre-tribulational view, but if I'm here on earth and the tribulation starts and the rapture hasn't happened, then I'm going to become a mid-tribulationist. And if I reach the midpoint and Christ still hadn't come back, I'll become... I'll, I'll adjust my view as necessary, but I believe this is what the Bible says. And what I'm going to preach to you over these next weeks will be what I believe is the, the biblical understanding about the end times. And this is what I believe. It's what our church holds. It's our, our statement of faith. And if, if you believe differently, you'll have plenty of time to get right before it's over with. So, and here's what, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay, usually when I preach on prophecy and these kind of things, there's generally about three kind of response. There's those that want to come up and actually talk about things, and I'm fine with that. I'm happy to talk about it, discuss it. Um, I've had a couple of conversations in between the 8 o'clock service and this service. There are other people who their goal is to come up and straighten me out. Please don't do that. I, I just couldn't, I don't think I could take it. I just don't think I can handle it. I've been straightened out by enough people, and um, I'm going to pretty much tell you you're wrong, and I, I just don't want to get into doubtful disputations. And then there's others who will come up and they'll say things like, well, what about this? And it's something that the Word of God doesn't address. Let me just say that God tells us what we need to know. And if, it do if God doesn't speak on it, I really don't have a thing to say about it. Amen. Let, me, let me teach you th three words, okay? These are really, they come in really handy. I don't know. Can we practice that together this morning? I don't know. And if God doesn't speak about it, it's probably not something that I'm, he feels like I need to know. So there are plenty of things that we may speculate about. There's plenty of things that we may have some sanctified imagination about. When we get to the millennial kingdom, there's a whole lot of speculation and things that we can sort of try to extrapolate from Scripture, but we really don't know. But there are some things that God is clear about. 
Let me just start off this morning before we get into the text with three things that are clear from the preaching and teaching of Jesus that are going to take place that are true about the end times. Number one, it's clear from Jesus' teaching, Jesus Christ is coming back. Can I get an amen on that? Jesus Christ is coming back. He said, if I go away, I will come again. So it's true that Jesus is coming back. The second thing is, is that we don't know when he's coming back. Can I get an amen on that? People have written books, and they've gone on TV, and they've gone on the radio, and they've set dates. This is when Jesus is coming back. Or this is when the Mayans think he's coming back. Y'all remember a few years ago when the end of the world was going to come, and the Mayan wheel that looked like a giant Oreo um, were predicting that the world was going to close? No, none of that. We don't know. Jesus said, no man knows the day, the hour, when the Son of Man comes back. I don't know how much clearer. I just love when these guys will say, well, Jesus said no man knows the day of the hour, but the Holy Spirit revealed it to me. Doesn't that make a whole lot of sense? Jesus Christ, number one, Jesus Christ is coming back. Number two, we don't know when he's coming back. But number three, we've got to be ready for him when he returns. Those three things, whatever position, whatever view we take, those three things are certain from the message of Jesus Christ. So as we look at that, I want you to see this passage this morning. I'm going to read a portion of it, and then we'll work our way down through to draw some of these truths about why God gives us prophecy. The easy general answer to that, by the way, is that God gives us prophecy to remind us that he's God. He's the one, number one, that is eternal. He is not limited to our lifetime. God is eternal, and he knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He knows the start from the finish. God is all-knowing. He knows what's going to happen. And get this, the Bible teaches us that he even knows what would have happened if other things had been different. God is all-knowing, and God has a purpose. History is not meandering through fate. It is moving toward a specific point that God has established, and God's purpose will be completed. So the general simple answer about prophecy is God gives us prophecy to remind us that he is God, and you could add to that, and we are not. But I want you to see four truths quickly this morning in this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. Our text actually goes into chapter 5, but I'm going to stop at the end of chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words." This passage describes what we refer to as the rapture of the church. We will look at this in more depth next Sunday by God's grace. This is the next event. Let me just sort of walk you through before we see these things because this event is the next thing on God's prophetic timetable. That at some point when we are not prepared or when we don't know, um, Christ is coming back for the church. The bridegroom is coming back for his bride. That's the next thing, and the church will be raptured. All believers will be raptured 
to be with Christ. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. At that point, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bema. You'll remember about a year and a half ago or so, Pastor Tom and I tag-teamed a sermon about the judgment seat of Christ. We had a dramatic presentation the next Sunday that dealt with the judgment seat of Christ. Believers standing before Christ. This is not a judgment of salvation, but it will be a judgment determining our rewards. He said they will be saved. Some will be saved, yet so as by fire. Others will receive rewards. So that's taking place, which will be followed by the marriage supper of the Lamb that's described in the book of Revelation. On earth will be seven years of tribulation such as never been experienced in the history of the earth. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. At the end of the seven years, we will return with Christ and what's referred to as the second coming. Jesus Christ will return to this earth and he will set up a, a thousand year reign, a millennial kingdom that's described in Revelation chapter 20. We believe that this is a thousand literal years in which Jesus will rule and reign. Why is God doing this? God is doing this because of the same reason that he's done each stage in human history. He is demonstrating that under every possible situation, in every way in which he deals with humankind, at the end, man will still raise his fist in rebellion against the authority of God. We've been through human government. We've been through the Old Testament law. We are now in the age of grace when God extends through the person of Jesus Christ salvation by grace and yet man is still turning his back on God. After seven years of the greatest judgment the world has ever seen, man is still going to rebel against God. And then after a thousand years of perfect reign by Christ on this earth in a perfect environment, man at the end is going to follow Satan into rebellion against God. And so at the end of that will be what's called the great white throne judgment. And those who are saved will enter into, those who are Unbelievers will enter into eternal punishment, eternal separation from God called hell. And those who are believers will enter into what's commonly referred to as heaven, but more correctly could be referred to as the eternal state. Because there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that will come down from God out of heaven. And it's going to be an amazing thing because God is going to restore his creation to its original intents. And over the next weeks, we're going to work through that that line of history. And it starts with what Paul describes here. Why does, why does God do this? God gives us prophecy, number one. I want you to see this. He wants us to have clarity instead of confusion. He wants us to have clarity instead of confusion. Do you notice the first phrase Paul says here? I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. I don't want you to... He's, he's basically saying... I do not want you to not know. I don't want you to be uninformed about this. There is a lot, a great deal of confusion. Uh, one of the conversations that I had between the 8th service and this service was someone who was giving the answer that they give to certain questions about what happens when a believer dies and how the body is in the grave, but then the Bible says that we're with the Lord and there's a lot of and the confusion over this. When the Bible is clear about this, the Bible says that our body goes to the grave, but our soul goes to God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so though my body is here on this earth, and will one day, if the Lord doesn't return in, soon, in a soon time, my body will decay. Believers who have been dead for centuries, their bodies, many of them are not there. Their bodies are, have decomposed 
and their soul is with God, but they will receive a resurrection body. So this, this person was expressing this and sharing the questions that they've heard, and it just illustrated that even among many believers, there's confusion about what is going to take place. There was certainly confusion as there is in our day. There was confusion in Paul's day, and that's why he's writing this. He doesn't want them to be uninformed about what is going to take place. Prophecy is not given to confuse us, but to provide clarity. That's why the principle that I mentioned earlier, if God doesn't reveal it, we didn't need to know it. If God doesn't give the answer in the scriptures, I've had people come up and ask all sorts of questions about prophecy and What's this going to be? And what, what do you think the mark of the beast is? And who do you think the Antichrist is? And, and who do, Look, let me tell you, I've heard every possible thing you could imagine about who and what and why. If God doesn't reveal it, I didn't need to know it. God doesn't give us prophecy to cause greater confusion. He gives it to us so we will understand what is going to take place. Notice a second thing that Paul does. God gives us prophecy... Paul says, because he wants us to have confidence instead of cynicism. Look in verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Do you see the source of Paul's authority? Look, we live in a day when it's hard to trust what people tell you and what you hear. How many things have we, we, we could probably all raise our hands this morning, of things we have heard in recent days to be the, well, this is the honest to God truth. And then when we found out, we realized, no, that really wasn't what happened. You see a headline, and then you actually find out what happened, and the headline was wrong. Or you hear a rumor, or a conspiracy theory, or you hear some other thing, and you're like, oh, this, this is certain and true. And we don't know who we can trust. We don't know if we can trust the, the friends that share things, and we don't know if we can trust the news media, and we don't know if we can trust our politicians and leaders, and we don't know who we can trust. Let me tell you that in a world in which there is little to trust, we can trust this is the word of the Lord. And let me just say that we would probably be at much greater level of peace if we would spend more time in what we know to be true than filling our minds with what we don't know to be true. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm, this is a different sermon altogether. I'm not getting sidetracked here, but I believe somebody needs to hear this this morning. Philippians chapter 4, whatsoever things are true. And we fill our minds often with things we don't know are true. We think they might be true or they could be true, but they're not necessarily known to be true. This word is true, and Paul says, this I say to you by the word of the Lord. Aren't you glad that because even though we don't know what the future holds, God does. And he has spoken. This is the authority. We can go with confidence. I can have confidence because of God's word. I can be confident because of the promise of Jesus Christ that I will never leave you nor forsake you. What did he say in the Great Commission? He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of the world. I can go with confidence. You know, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people who are simply disturbed about the future because of the present. Why is it that so many people question, is this what's going to happen? Pastor, is, is this leader the Antichrist? Is this event the mark of the beast? Is this, is this that we want to identify current events with biblical prophecy? And we want to do that because we're concerned about the future. We're, we're uncertain and we're cynical about what is true. 
God wants us to have confidence, and so he gives us the truth about what is going to take place. Let me tell you what I know for certain, and I am confident in this. Jesus Christ is coming back. I don't know when it's going to happen, and I've got to be ready. Everything else is just nothing but noise. Number three, Paul says, I want you to have comfort instead of experiencing calamity. Verse 13, he says that you sorrow not. Verse 18, comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5 and verse 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. He says to edify each other. We're to build each other up. We're to encourage and edify. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14? Let not your hearts be troubled. And yet I'm seeing many Christians whose hearts are troubled because of current events. Jesus said, I'm with you always. I don't have, you don't have to worry. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who gets elected. It doesn't matter what disease comes. It doesn't matter wars and rumors of wars. I am with you. I can have confidence. I can have comfort. I don't have to go around wringing my hands, worrying about what's going on. It doesn't mean I like everything that's going on. There's plenty in our country and in our world that I don't like. But you know what? I'm perfectly at peace. I've got comfort because he says, comfort one another with these words. I know how it turns out. I know what God has said. And God has given us a prophetic word from a source of authority that we can trust absolutely and implicitly. And he has given us that word and we can rest in it. I hope this morning, some of you probably before you even, probably before you even got going good, you were already on your phones, scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through Twitter, going through, reading the headlines, getting your news feed, turn the TV on and watch some person there talking about news, and it, it troubled your heart. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us in the past month or past week have been troubled by things that have gone on in our world? And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come again and receive you unto myself. Why does God give us prophecy? He gives it to us for comfort instead of calamity. But I want you to see this in chapter 5. This is the fourth thing that God gives us prophecy for. God gives us prophecy for a challenge, not just to satisfy our curiosity. Anytime that I've preached on prophecy, and I know we've, we've announced this, and I've already had people say, man, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm glad, I'm glad that you are. It's, it's exciting for folks to be excited about a sermon that you're preaching. That's good. That's, that's, that's wonderful. And it's exciting to be excited about the Word of God because this is important. This is the Word of God. It's, a, it's nearly a third of the Word of God is prophetic. So it's important for us to understand it. It's important for us to know it. But there's a tendency, if we're not careful, to just be curious about how are things going to turn out. That's why one of the biggest questions about prophecy is, who is the Antichrist? Personally, it was revealed to me a long time ago. Y'all didn't know that, but I got a prophetic word. A man came to uh, my dad uh, when he was preaching on this, and he shared this with us. And, uh, you know, you take the numbers. The Bible talks about the number of his name. And you take the last name of this particular individual and you correlate it to the number, of, you know, 1 through 26 of the alphabet. 
and you total them up, and it comes out to 111, and you multiply it by 6, which is the number of man in the Bible, and it comes out to 666. And he was quite certain that the Antichrist was Henry Kissinger. Some of y'all don't even know who Henry Kissinger is. Well, you know, Henry, oh, Henry's been around a good little while, so who knows? We don't know. Everybody, you know, the, the problem is be careful. You might can do that with your own name, so we might be, you can get yourself in trouble. Everybody's curious about that. And certainly there is a natural curiosity about what the future holds. But God does not give us prophecy just to satisfy our curiosity or to create curiosity. He gives it to us to challenge us. And what is the challenge? Verse, five, uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. It's interesting that they are just as curious as many people are today. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's preparing them for his departure, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were curious about the end times. They were curious about these topics and these matters. And Jesus says, don't worry about that, but go into the world and preach the gospel. So it's, it's natural to be curious. He says, I don't have to write to you about that. Why? Because you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. He's talking about the unbelievers who are not prepared. And he says, you know this. You know that there's not times and seasons. You know that it's going to happen at an unexpected, surprising moment. Then notice what he says, but you, brethren, Christians, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Now, if a thief is going to visit your house, he doesn't call up and say, hey, I'm going to come over to your house and take a bunch of your stuff about 3 o'clock in the morning. Be ready. Have your clock ready, your pistol ready, whatever. He doesn't call. He doesn't let the thief in the night comes unexpected when no one's ready and paying attention. But he says, for the believer, it ought not be that way. It ought not be like we're in the night, because we are not of the night. And he goes on to say, we are of the day. Those that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken are drunken in the night, but you are not of the night. You are of the day. In other words, as Christians, we are to live differently than this world does. This world is going to be caught off guard. The return of Christ is going to be unexpected. But for believers, as it's in times begins, we are to be, first of all, ready. We're to live in readiness. Let us not sleep, verse 6, as do others, but let us what? Let us watch. Let's be alert. Let's be on guard and be sober. He's talking and speaking about being alert, being aware, being vigilant, watching. We claim to believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. And yet, how often do we go through day after day? I find myself going through day after day when if at any given point in that day Jesus Christ had come back, I'm not sure he would have found me as ready as I would like to be. He says, be watching, be sober. The problem is, is that we've gone for years and years and Jesus still hasn't come back. And in fact, isn't that what Peter said? Peter said, there will come scoffers in the last days that will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And I hear Christians acting the same and acting the same way. I've been hearing for years, preachers have been preaching that Jesus Christ was coming back. And he still hadn't come back. I was back when I was a kid. Look, I heard the same sermons. It is interesting that some of the things that they said then are taking place now. But Jesus is coming back. Jesus could come back at any moment. 
The reason is, is because Jesus could come back at any moment. So we're to watch and we're to be ready. Don't get caught unaware. Don't get caught unprepared. We're to live ready. We're to live with proper relationships, first of all, with Christ. That is to be a priority. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. That key word, together. We are together with Christ. Whether we are alive when Jesus returns or whether we are dead when Jesus returns, we are to be living with an emphasis and a priority on our relationship with Him. What do you spend more time? This is a challenge. Remember, prophecy is about a challenge. It's not just about satisfying our curiosity. The fact that Jesus is returning, how much time do we spend on the things of this earth compared to the amount of time we spend on heavenly things? How much time do I spend on other relationships compared to what I spend on my relationship with Christ, my relationship with God. And then he says, we're to live in relationship with each other. Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Isn't it interesting, and I say this with love, but isn't it interesting that Scripture consistently connects the coming of Christ with the gathering of the church? Remember what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25? Forsake not yourselves the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the end times, the day of Christ's return, the day of Christ's coming. And what does he say here? Paul says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. We are to encourage each other when we're together. We're to come together and spur each other on to good works and to love, to service to living for God, to making Christ a priority. Why? Because Christ is coming back. And the question is, are we alert and are we ready? We are to live rejoicing. Among other things that Paul will say down later in this chapter, he will say rejoice evermore. So in closing, let me tell you, what, how do we rejoice? What does prophecy give us to rejoice in? The fact that God has given us prophecy. Number one, we can rejoice because we have purpose. We see that even though we may not understand all the details, we may not understand all that's going to take place, God is bringing history to a particular point. It is not random. It is not just drifting all over the place through fate. It is headed toward a particular purpose. And God's purpose will not be thwarted by man's actions. God's purpose will not be thwarted by man's designs. God's purpose will be accomplished. And the things that Jesus has given to us, the things that God has given to us in prophecy, will come to pass. And nothing is going to change that. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in Congress. It doesn't matter who's the kings of the nations. It doesn't matter who the leaders are in other countries. It doesn't matter what form of government is in the nations. Christ will return and these things will happen according to his plan. So there's a purpose. Number two, I can rejoice because it gives me peace. It gives me peace that things are not left to man's control. They're left to God's control. God is in control. God's at the driver's seat. He's got his hand on the wheel. And he that keeps us will neither slumber nor sleep. I was driving behind someone coming out to the church this week, headed out to the 
to the office for something, and I was behind this car, and I don't know whether he was slumbering or sleeping, but that guy driving in front of me was not doing a very good job. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's really sort of the way some people view what's going on in this world. Because of the person behind the wheel, they're worried that it's going all over the place. I'm glad to know that God is in control, and it gives me peace. How troubled are you? I, I, for some reason, the Lord brings my heart and mind back to that this morning because there's, there's someone here that I believe is just troubled about the things. You've let things get in your mind. You've let worry and doubt and fear. Let me tell you that the future is uncertain. What is not uncertain is the peace that we can have that passes all understanding. Number three, we have a promise. Things are going to end right. When we get into the book of Revelation, boy, it's a terrible, terrible book. There are some terrible things that are going to happen, but we know what it ends. It ends with us in the presence of God, and that's where we're headed. The greatest thing that we have to rejoice in is that we have a person. It's all about Jesus. Above all else that prophecy does for us, it points us to Christ. It points us to Christ. We go through this passage, and we're talking about the Lord's return. We're talking about those that sleep in Jesus. We're talking about the dead in Christ. We're talking about believers that walk in Christ. We're talking about those that we have salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You get to the book of Revelation, and it's, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What's the, what's the name of the last book of the Bible? This is your easy Sunday morning question. The last book in the Bible is Revelation. Revelation. Do you know what the full name of it is? It's not the revelation of eschatology. It's not the revelation of the end events. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation. It is about revealing Jesus and who he is. The prophecy of the Old Testament pointed toward the first coming of Jesus. The prophecies of the New Testament point toward the second coming of Jesus. And let me tell you that the second coming is just as sure and just as certain as the first. And he is going to return, and it points us to him. If we go through this look at prophecy, if we go through this series and you come out on the other side just having your curiosity satisfied, you've missed the point. If you come out to the other side and all you have is a little bit of a calmer heart at night when you go to sleep because you can, you can rest with peace, then you've missed the point. But if we come through this and we have a better understanding of who Jesus Christ is and that he is the one that prophecy points us to, then we've hit the mark because it's all about Christ. And one day when he comes back in his second coming, the Bible says that every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. And it also tells us something else that everything is going to do. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Prophecy points us to Jesus. So let me ask you this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? The end of the world is a terrifying thing if you don't know Jesus. But he says here, these things are true if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Has there been a time in your life when you have believed that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he rose again and you have trusted in that for your salvation? If that is true, then we are in this that he describes that will be resurrected when Christ comes back. 
If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, that's the great hope. That's the blessed hope, is that the Christ who returns is our Savior. And we can trust in that. Because let me tell you, knowing that God's going to work everything out in the end is not a calming thing if you don't know Jesus. It's a terrifying thing if you don't know Jesus. And that's why Paul says, those who believe are not appointed to wrath or judgment. We're appointed to salvation by Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning, based on the authority of God's word, you can receive eternal life by placing your trust in Jesus. In a moment when we have an invitation, you can pray right where you are, or you can come and let one of our pastors or someone here at the front talk with you and share with you about trusting Jesus as your Savior. If you've done that and you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm ready for the return, I'm ready for the end of the world, let's get it on, let's, get, let's do this. I'm ready, I don't know about you, but man, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to get to that eternal state. My question for you is, are you ready? Are you living like one who will get called as a thief or one who is watching and that will not catch you as a thief, but you're watching for Christ's return? Little children, John says, let us be found faithful so that when he shall appear, we can have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Prophecy. God gives it to us in his word, and he gives it to us for a reason. Will you bow with me for prayer, please? Father, your prophecy is true, not because I preach it, but because you have said it, and it is so. This we say by the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that as we see what your word says this morning and in the weeks to come, that we will not approach this with mere intellectual curiosity, but we will approach it with a desire to know Jesus, to see Christ in it. But Lord, also so that we will be prepared, so that what we know will change how we live. Now, Father, I pray for those that are disturbed and are burdened that you will bring peace. I pray for those that are confused that you will bring understanding. Pray for those, Lord, that are, are hurting and they're, they're feeling the pressures of this world and maybe they've lost a loved one that is now with you. I pray, Lord, that you will bring them peace, whatever the need might be. And, Lord, if there's one here that has not trusted you as their Savior, I pray this will be the moment when they receive eternal life and move from those that are appointed to wrath to those that will obtain salvation by Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you will speak to us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.